when i was young i was very much fascinated with uh, the planet saturn i'm sure because of the rings of course because of the rings you know i used to be the kind of guy who used to go for the looks always but are you a kind of guy who likes rings <laughs> <laughs> anyway but did you know that Ju- <laughs> yeah right <laughs> did you know that jupiter uranus and neptune also had rings also have rings in fact what you are trying to tie me down or what <laughs> <laughs> no saturn is not the only planet with yeah, rings yeah. but the thing is that saturn is the only one which has a prominent li- ring which on which actually you can see the planet's shadow as well neptune has a funny kind of a ring which doesn't completely go around the planet it has a small gap on it um and yeah in any illustrations or depictions of planets that you see uh, you know anywhere saturn is the one which is used which, because it the ring kind of tells you that it is a planet right if you're just drawing a circle it can be any kind of heavenly body yeah so it it's one of the most good looking planet which the solar system consists of yeah so uh, yeah i used to have this fascination for saturn but the thing is back in 2001 when i was like 10 years old it got shattered the thing was uh, we were at our grandma's place during summer vacation and uh, we used to spend time watching jukebox or musical channel but one fine day instead of watching that we checked out discovery and there was this documentary about jupiter like about the great red spot where uh, they were talking about what would happen if uh, humans were settled in jupiter and they encountered the red spot so red spot is basically a very powerful st- storm which has been raging on the surface of jupiter since many years humans have been uh, you know observing it since uh, 300 years i think uh, yeah yeah it's it's kind of a tornado which is on is constantly blowing on the surface of the planet it's three times the size of earth it, that's how huge it is yeah so uh, we have been observing it since uh, 1859 or something like proper records are there since 1859 and uh, the red spot actually ignited something in me which made me like super fascinated about jupiter and you know, yeah you know what this reminds me of this reminds me of that meme this which is going around on the internet where a guy is walking with a girl and suddenly there is another girl who is walking past <laughs> and he's looking at her thinking that okay this is what i want so the other girl is like you know you understand which one i'm talking about right? <laughs> i get it see i think uh, it's the exact same thing but now you know that i don't go for looks always <laughs> well but jupiter has a great red spot but Isn't saturn that? has the rings <laughs> you know you can't choose between both yeah i did actually and uh, jupiter is the one i like now so researching on it uh, i got to know that even humans didn't have much information about jupiter till uh, late 1900s yeah and uh, one of the major breakthrough which humans uh, got was through the pioneer program and especially the pioneer 10 space probe which was sent to uh, observe jupiter back in 1970s welcome to another episode of right run geek show we are your host vishnu and shankar and in this episode we're going to talk about the long lost traveler pioneer 10 So NASA was set up in 
And there was this aerospace engineer named Gary Flandro who knew that we didn't have much information about Jupiter. So he proposed this plan like, why not? Let's have a Jupiter expedition and uh, probably learn more about it and see if we can have life over there. There were like a lot of discussion based on that. And uh, in 1958 itself, the Pioneer program was set up by NASA, which uh, started in 1958 and ended in 1978. So there were like a lot of space probes which were manufactured and sent to send for different missions. But in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, especially the Pioneer 10 uh, space probe expedition. So uh, the main objectives of Pioneer 10 was just to observe Jupiter and send back as many, send back as much data as they can, like in the form of photograph, exactly what paparazzis do. And from what I've researched, it was able to send around like 500 pictures or something. 500 pictures? (laughs) That's what a lot of information is. Yeah. (laughs) An average kid's Instagram will have more than 500 pictures. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, That was not just the objective of the space probe. It was also supposed to observe the Jovian system, which Mm -hmm. consists of uh, uh, Jupiter's four uh, mostly known moons, moons, which were Io and Ganymede. Europa. Europa and Callisto. Yeah. You know, funny thing, I thought when I when I read about this first, right, IO is written as, you know, capital you I. Thought and it's low. Yeah, I thought it's low. And I'm like, low? What? You know, Who the, named I, it? I felt the same when I was a kid. I thought it's low, but it's actually IO. And I think Jupiter has a lot of moons, like what, 30, 35, 36 moons? No, or no, 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 no. See, one, uh, somewhere I read 49. Uh-huh. Uh, some other place I read 53. So no one and actually knows. Yeah, it, it, it keeps on increasing. I, I think, you know, what's happening there? Uh, I think the thing is the asteroid belt is pretty close to jupiter right so once in a while it's just pulling more hey you come on (laughs) be my moon it's like karnataka election man Uh, let's not go there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, probably a very controversial place to be at let's not uh, you know do that but you know which planet has the most uh, number of uh, moons is it uh, uranus Saturn. It's a ring mama. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Is, uh, okay, it's debatable. It, it said that Saturn has more than like 60 something. 60 and somewhere months. I read... 60. 60. 60. And somewhere I read that Jupiter has around like 69. So see, <laughs> that's what it's... It's again, we don't know. Yeah. It's like the majority... No one knows where the yeah, majority yeah, yeah, yeah. is. Probably in some uh, resort. <laughs> and people have started saying that Pluto is no longer a planet, which I'm very angry about actually. Because I grew up... Saying that Pluto is a planet. Yeah, the thing is... Look at it. It's one of the coolest planets. In fact, you know, roaming around at the edge of the solar system. Once in a while, it breaks all the rules, right? Once in a while, it is not the furthest planet anymore. It comes inside the orbit of Neptune and it becomes a eighth planet. Yeah. You know, rather than being the ninth yeah, yeah, planet. Yeah. And the most interesting part for me is that since its it, uh, discovery, it's not even con- completed one revolution around the sun. Not, yeah, revolution around the sun, which it takes around 238 years. 248. 248 years, okay. Off by 10 years. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, when we talk about this revolution and all that, we think that it's in a 2D dimensional uh, world right mm. but the thing is you said that it'll cross inside neptune but the thing but it's not a, two, a 2d thing it, which, yeah it's not gonna collide because yeah. they are at a different plane angle uh, of the plane is different right yeah 
So, uh, getting back to the point, I don't even remember what was the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the point. moons, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Pioneer, uh, the second objective was to study the Jovian system, mostly these four pro- uh, moons of Jupiter. And then it was also supposed to study the asteroid belt because it it would, if it's successful, it would end up being the first planet, to, first space probe to cross the asteroid belt. And uh, study the radioactivity of the planet Jupiter. And also study about the solar wind, which is uh, the result of sun. And uh, the particles which exist in space. Like uh, probably uh, while passing through the asteroid belt, you'll have like small uh, micro meteors and all that. So study all those stuff. Kind of like... They had like one employee who was good enough. So just, they just entrusted all the missions on that one person and like send them out. Like, you know, you can do it. But I they think, know that he might not be able to do it, but he would tell them, they won't tell him. No, I think one of the reasons is that sending a craft to outers, outer planets like Jupiter and Saturn and all that stuff, it takes a lot of time, right? Um, like sending a craft to moon and back takes around what, three days or something. Sending a, a craft to Mars might take around three months. Don't imagine solar system is at the scale of what you see in the drawings. It's in a completely different scale. So the distance from Earth to Mars and the distance from Earth to Jupiter is it's unimaginable, right? So Jupiter is really far. So sending a probe requires years of uh, planning and the craft itself takes years to reach Jupiter, right? So you cannot have like, okay, you know what, we'll uh, put this many missions on this and next we'll send this probe and in a year we will get all the uh, data. So if you're sending, prepare the craft to get as much data as possible for the next few decades, like 10 years or 20 years or yeah. 30 years. See, it's like uh, the difference between how uh, communication used to be among humans. Like few decades back, we, have, we used to use letters. So if you want to send some in, like if you're sending, when you're sending one letter, you try to push it, push in all the information you can send it. Yeah, through because it, right? the turnaround time is around two weeks for a letter to reach somewhere and you to get the response, right? Yeah. Now it's not that. Now you can send one single, you know, character message and smileys to people and still communication goes good. Yeah, I remember like back in 2005 or something back then uh, messages used to cost a lot. And someone, when they send like uh, one letter responses and I used to think, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I think for the, the first mobile connection I had, the one single SMS was around two and a half rupees or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that's the kind of difference we are talking about. And I'm glad that you uh, brought the topic of, you know, the alignment and all that stuff, mm-hmm. because um, the main reason why... Gary Flandro proposed this theory, proposed this mission was because it was a rare alignment period when all the planets, outer solar system planets would be aligned at the same place. So like, otherwise it would be like uh, one planet would be on the right side of the sun, another would be on the left, and would be somewhere else. It's like a celestial uh, alignment, right? I'm sure that our astrological friends would have something to say about it. Yeah, you know, because of Vedic maths and all that. You know, planets. I, I'm thinking, what was the, um, what would the zodiac of the guy who was born on that day when everything aligned? He wouldn't have a fault in I his think star. One, <laughs> <laughs> one such event happened recently, right, hmm. where all the planets were aligned or something. Yeah, like something that. was there. I don't actually remember. I don't know why we the are f- not up to date with science. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. The, f- the funny thing is that um, so many 
planets which are so far out in the space where spacecrafts take like 25 30 years have such a big influence on our lives yeah <laughs> such a big influence well we are going to lose a lot of subscribers by yeah. this episode well we don't have many so it's okay <laughs> we can take the rest anyway getting back to the point so so yeah the objectives were these and uh, nasa immediately started building this uh, space probe you know working on the space probe and uh, as always they sent out they wanted to like send out tenders and all that but uh, because they had only like 2 years to exploit the alignment thing like two within two years they had to send the spacecraft to exploit the alignment thing of planets so uh, instead of sending out tenders and all that they gave the manufacturing uh, job to this company called TRW Inc for uh, a combined 380 million dollars for building uh, both pioneer 10 and 11 so they were given a deadline of two years and it needed 25 million man hours to complete wow uh, 2 years seems like a long time but it isn't yeah but the thing is uh, think about it 25 million hours of what manpower mhm i i tried to like convert it into you know yeah, days and all that but do that you were not good uh, at maths yeah yeah so uh, halfway through i just left it and uh, yeah one of the trw engineer joked saying that this spacecraft is gu- guaranteed for 2 years of interplanetary flight if any component fails within the within that warranty period just return the spacecraft to her shop and we will repair <laughs> it for free of charge <laughs> so that's yeah. awesome man yeah. i like such people who are not serious about you life. know how he started joking i what i think is like he lost his mind working is <laughs> you know what off. yeah you see the thing I appreciate most about people who are like that sarcastic and joking around in the pressure situation right i have seen see in our day jobs we see a lot of people right some of them get upset for all the small things where the there is pressure on them and especially in situations where they have no control right deadline there are, escalations like there are things which you cannot do anything about the only thing you can do is a good job do your best and just come back and sit sit and relax there are some people who crib about their life every day there are others who are like you know what <laughs> anyway the situation is so screwed i've got to joke about it and yeah. make a sarcastic comment i like such people they actually pull up your motivation at least for me there are some who get offended also about that but then you know it's just life life is not meant to be that serious who man. is that aimed at <laughs> i i don't want to know i'm well, just anyway. generally <laughs> saying it's not aimed at anyone but just you know out of life experiences <laughs> i just started blogging again you mm-hmm. know so i was thinking about all these things that happened probably r- will write about them uh, in future posts just do, a shameless yeah, plug in probably yeah, yeah. anyway uh, getting back to the point so 25 million manas were put into building the space probe and uh, guess how much it weighed maybe half a kilogram that's <laughs> you think half a kilogram it had 11 instruments in it so okay one and a half kilograms the total weight of the space uh, probe was 260 kilograms 260 kilograms yeah they worked for 2 years put into 25 million man hours to build a space probe with instruments and uh, it weighed around 260 kilograms mm-hmm. but uh, we had talked about the apollo mission right and for building saturn 5 it also took like 2 3 years or 4 years i don't know yeah more than that yeah so and that was like tons right that's a launch vehicle yeah. right that's not the same thing yeah it's not a launch vehicle but uh, when you compare the size and all that it actually well the the entire 
you know um, mission objective is different for the yeah both the true, things that's true one is just taking your spacecraft into space the other is just uh, you know going into the space without any need for propulsion and what was the launch vehicle which was used for launching pioneer yeah, you know, uh, was pa- it it is uh, no no it's atlas center atlas center center yeah atlas center so uh, yeah the scale of r&d which would have uh, needed for such a mission i can't even comprehend well uh, getting back to the point the spacecraft was small that's all i wanted to say it had Two, an 260 kilograms is not small man no compared to <laughs> don't I'm compare not, yeah okay it is I'm small i'm not supposed to compare yeah fine uh, when you think about putting in so many manners and all that it's relatively small oh yeah iphone costs around 1 lakh it is small does it make sense to I, say we that? are not talking about cost i'm talking about manners <laughs> manners how do you do you know how many manners goes into reducing the size of the microprocessor every year we are drifting too <laughs> far away like pioneer 10 okay, right now okay let's end this argument and get back to the show yeah so uh, out of the 260 kilograms it had 36 kilograms of pro- a propellant which was liqu- liquid hydrazine monopropellant And why would you okay was there any inter course correction or something which was required yeah it, like the thing was uh, oh i think near the near when it nears jupiter it has to slow down and yeah. you know capture a lot of pictures yeah yeah and, and after that it used the slingshot action to hmm. get past it so it just, needed some propellant because yes yeah, so, uh, just to interrupt you sorry to do that but just to explain the sp- slingshot action is something like you use a planet's gravitational force or any heavenly body's gravitational force to move it around it and go into a different direction into space which was the one which was used in apollo 13 as well and uh, mangalyan if you haven't oh, exactly. heard that episode you can check it out you know we had already talked about yeah, this yeah please go and check like out our episode months, on uh, mangalyan back? where we have explained in detail i re- yeah I slingshot that. action everything we have uh, explained in yeah, detail yeah no wonder i remember that yeah. vaguely so what uh, this pioneer uh, 10 used to do is like it uses that it used that conical shape thing like you know you observe one uh, distant object which is like constant when you're traveling and it used to align according to it and use the thrusters just to manage the whole thing it was not using any other course cor- correction thing it was uh, taking one point constant point it had space so that's, and then that's like using, using parallax effect or something yeah, like yeah 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 using a sextant you will measure the angle between yeah. two stars and just this is them. called like conical scanning yeah Yeah so that's what it was using and it had like of course uh, the space would be harsh so it had uh, insulation proper coating and all that uh, it had an aluminum structure the space probe was powered by a uh, radio isotope thermoelectric generator and the source of the power was uh, taken from plutonium 238 Yeah, any was, memories <laughs> <laughs> yes which was used for fat man which was a second bomb drop during the world war at nagasaki right yeah it used it used around 6.8 kilograms of uh, plutonium 238 think about using the same amount in this one <laughs> I, I, then it yeah. won't it won't be an interplanetary probe <laughs> yeah so it has an a uh, half life of like what is that atomic decay 87, 87 years or something, something right yeah, 87 so years, uh, yeah when when they when the mission began it was able to produce like 155 watts of power and uh, to function all the instruments properly it needed only like 100 So things were pretty smooth at first and uh, by the time it reached Jupiter it had like 140 watts of uh, power mm-hmm. it was able to generate and by 2001 when it almost you know we lost 
contact with it, with it it only had like 65 watts so it doesn't use solar panels it's no because a, the thing is uh sun sun would be like a speck from yeah true where it is okay so using a solar panel would not work but and, but you know what i i would have had solar panels at least as a backup option somewhere in the spacecraft yeah it, it as i understand it's going out of solar system now right what in few what it is if out of few, solar system <laughs> Yeah, so what if it... Okay, I was talking in terms of uh, 20 or 30 years. I was back in time. Anyway, so somewhere if it reaches some other star, it could have used the solar panels. Yeah, even I thought about it. But, uh, you know, I think NASA scientists were not that optimistic. Yeah, the computation power is like something which you should... The total computing power which uh, the space probe had was uh, 6,144 bytes. That is... Not even that is that is six kb that is six kilobytes of memory. Yeah, so uh, the scientists they had to like command all the things you know prior to lot before uh, when they needed to like uh, execute mm-hmm. it. So uh, this was an issue back then, but you know uh, multitasking was a problem. Yeah, I because think. they didn't know about how you can have two gb eight gb 16 gb rams and all that back then so they had to like come up with some idea imagine a 260 kilogram spacecraft doesn't have enough ram it had only six kilobytes of memory our phones man look at our phones now my phone is little (laughs) old but it still has two gb of memory yeah anyway so uh these were the proper you know structuring of the spacecraft and it had like 11 instruments talking about the instruments it had an infrared radiometer uh, which which is uh, which would be used to you know study the cloud temperature and overall jupiter temperature and uh, quadrispherical plasma analyzer which was to detect the solar wind i told you about the solar wind part where it was uh, um, expected to study the solar wind and how it works around the solar system then it had a cosmic ray telescope uh, this was to collect information about cosmic rays very generic then helium vector magnetometer this was to study the interplanetary magnetic field and how jupiter interacted with it like the moons and all that then it had a jaeger tube telescope i don't know what it's for then <laughs> trapped <laughs> radiation detector like uh, to detect emitted particles from all the interplanetary stuff then meteori- meteoroid detectors. I don't know what it's used for. <laughs> I think it might be used to detect some kind of stuff. <laughs> because it's a detector. <laughs> yeah, then it had an imaging uh, photopolarimeter, pol- which was... Uh, Is it another name for camera? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's the stuff which took all the pictures of Jupiter. That's what a camera does, right? <laughs> <laughs> then again, it had a charged particle instrument, which was again to detect uh, cosmic rays. Mm-hmm. And the 10th thing was uh, another asteroid and meteorite detector. Okay, one was not enough. Yeah, one was not enough. See, they okay. were like, you know, even if our primary mi- mission messes up, mm-hmm. at least we should figure out what asteroids and meteorites. Of course, do. you're paying so many millions, right? Something should come out of it. Yeah, and uh, the last thing was the ultra, uh, ultraviolet photometer mm-hmm. to take ultraviolet pictures of uh, Jupiter and figure out. Can you not just call it ultraviolet camera or something? Uh, yeah, you know, they have to make it tough for me to read, right? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this was this ultraviolet photometer was used to, uh, you know, quantify the amount of hydrogen and helium uh, present in uh, the atmosphere of Jupiter. So these are the instruments which uh, the space probe had. Are you and missing uh, 
another component it's not an instrument per se but it was a part of the spacecraft the plug yes so oh, yeah so yeah they had uh, installed a plug Plaque, in the space yeah, probe a plug is basically ah, let you take it over yeah <laughs> you yeah. want to talk about all these kind of stuff right <laughs> well I go like ahead to, nagaraj i like to geek about all boring stuff <laughs> that what this program podcast is all about yeah this is not boring this is the part where you know you might get tingles yeah go okay. ahead yeah so um a plug is basically um a square it was a square and pioneer at least yeah. uh, shaped um, plate of metal actually gold, gold, gold. analyzed uh, gold anodized aluminum because that has the least corrosion uh, observed in all the um, alloys so um not an alloy but in metals so this was basically the idea behind using a plaque plaque had uh, some things in engraved on it which we'll we, i'll describe the idea was nasa thought that someday this space probe is going to end up in some alien's hands or into some it will go to some planet where you know there are other beings and stuff like that so when they get the spacecraft they'll look at the plaque and they'll kind of decode the message that is on the plaque and understand that okay there is a planet somewhere down in some place where there's a star and there are uh, living beings on that planet and all that and probably come and invade earth or make friends with us we don't know that yet so that was a whole intention and as i mentioned this plaque was made with gold anodized aluminum and uh, around 9 by 6 inches in size there were basically four portions uh, on this plaque four major uh, sections where information was encoded um first thing on the plaque on the top was the hyperfine transition of hydrogen which was uh, which showed the spin of hydrogen now um to explain it in a very simple uh, way hydrogen is one of the most abundant element in the whole universe right yeah um i think the it it, it is like if you take the entire elements everything forms only a small percentage hydrogen has almost the entire universe occupied right so the idea was that if we use hydrogen as a basic unit of measurement for for the other things which are mentioned in the plaque aliens might be in some way able to decode the entire stuff and read and understand what is written on it i have no idea what they were smoking <laughs> <laughs> but you know what when you think about interplanetary communication to a civilization which you know nothing about i think they came up with a pretty rad idea let me explain why hmm. so um, they used hydrogen as the base right now let me explain what the hyperfine tri- transition of hydrogen and all those things mean so you know the structure of atom right yeah, yeah. there is a nucleus and there are electrons revolving around it like planets which is a very simple way of saying it's basically electron cloud you don't know exactly where electronics so it's like a cloud around the nucleus right so what happens is nucleus sometimes interacts with electron because nucleus normally has a positive uh, charge and electrons are negative nucleus has protons nucleus has po- protons and neutrons neutrons are neutral so basically always the nucleus will be positively charged so there might be some kind of an interaction which happens between the neutrons and electron i mean uh, nucleus and the electrons i'm just trying to explain it in a very simpler way okay there is a whole article on this which if you are interested you can go and read and understand link now <laughs> now when these kind of interactions happen there might be small shift 
or splitting in the energy levels of the atoms. So we have learned that when atom receives energy, it goes at a higher uh, state of energy level, right? And when it when the uh, atom comes down to the base energy level, what happens? It gives off that energy in the form of photons. Now photons are the primary, uh, are the basic particles which 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 forms the base of light emission. Mm-hmm. So when a photon is emitted, that means some kind of radiation is coming out. So um, now what happens is when this happens to hydrogen, right? There is a amount of radiation that is emitted as a result of this, which has a frequency of around thousand four hundred twenty point some hertz. So let's round it off to thousand four twenty which means a time period of around 0.7 nanoseconds. So time period is one by frequency, right? You remember, I know you hate physics, but still, um, these were the things we have learned somewhere, right? So at this... uh, I'm yawning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And at this frequency, uh, the the wavelength of uh, the light emitted would be around 21 centimeters. Okay. Okay. So... That is used as a basic, that is assigned as a basic unit of measurement in this plaque. And if you look at the uh, plaque entirely, there are pictures on internet. We'll also post it in our uh, show notes. There are two hydrogen atoms which are depicted. And below that, there's a small binary one which is shown, right? Mm, Now, that binary one stands for this 21 centimeters. Okay. Now, everything in that is drawn according to the scale, right? There are, okay. So, uh, that is the first part of the plaque. That first part of the plaque is just to come up to, uh, come up with a unit of measurements, measurement, which will help you understand the relative size and stuff of the other stuff, which is shown. Now, the second part are two human beings, one male and one female, completely nude. Because that's how human beings are. Now, the problem with that... Okay, so there was a lot of discussion which went into uh, depicting this. So, let me also go back and mention that this whole idea of the plaque was uh, created by the scientist Carl Sagan and uh, astrophysicist uh, Frank Drake. And Carl Sagan's wife, Linda Sagan, actually um, drew it. it. Yeah, she was an uh, artist. So, when the discussion came about depicting human beings, there was a lot of controversy, uh, even after this was done. So, um, they were like, so she, Linda thought, um, if you're depicting humans, you should be depicting them as naked human beings because clothes, we cannot come to a consensus as to what clothes are we going to display. And Carl Sagan initially thought we'll show two human beings who are holding hands. Later, he thought that might confuse the aliens, but they might think this is one organism with, you know... Uh, four limbs and stuff like that so uh, another thing about the depiction is that the male is shown with one hand uh, you know raised that is a sign of welcoming in case they you know meet any um, aliens i don't know whether that really translates to high in their language we don't know that yet but we are just assuming right now the height of the human beings which are showed in this plaque is around 28 units of that measurement which we spoke about earlier. Hmm. So that is 8 into 21 is around 168 centimeters, which is the average height of human beings, right? Which is your height also, I think. No, no, I am 180. (laughs) Yeah, you're 6 feet, right? Yeah, Yeah, so that is what the second plaque is, just to um, enable, just to let the aliens understand how humans look like. So we covered two parts. Now the third part... um, shows the relative it's the third part is like a treasure map of solar system like 
wherever pioneer is going they the aliens need to understand where it's come from so there is an ima- there is an image of uh, image with number of lines which is coming from a common center the common center being the sun and the lines depicting the relative direction of the quasars 15 quasars now let me explain a little bit about quasars quasars are one of the most furthest uh, objects in the observable universe they are basically galaxies that look like very bright stars and most of them are around you know billions and billions of light years away from earth by billions i mean maybe 10 10 billion or you know 16 billion and they are mostly found at the edge of the uh, known universe observable universe yeah and they are around they are as bright as 100 galaxies combined together and people speculate scientists speculate that they have huge massive black holes in their center which is emitting so much uh, energy the funny thing is the quasars that you're seeing now which is like let's say a quasar is around 10 billion year uh, light years away the light that you're seeing emitted around 10 billion years back so you're seeing back into the future i mean sorry back in the past okay the confused past. with the movie name so yeah so they by this um, sagan and drake they were trying to give them a map of where the pioneer came from by depicting the relative position of all the 15 quasars that was the third portion the fourth portion was um, showing the solar system the composition of solar system uh by the relative position of the planets and stuff like that so they depicted all the planets and also showed the path of the relative path of pioneer with an arrow yeah yeah there was some controversy be, uh, you know around that arrow as well people said that arrow is something that human beings um, use because as early men we used arrows and spears and all that stuff so we know that depicts the direction now that might be not be the same thing with uh, aliens right i wonder with if someone came up with a better idea than that and also there was this silhouette of the spacecraft behind um, the image of the man and the woman just to show the relative size of the spacecraft right so they they used the basic unit to show all that sizes and all that stuff so anyone getting the spacecraft will know that okay a man on earth would be this tall and based on that they can understand there were some controversies that came out as i said uh, one was um that the man and woman displayed there were caucasian male and female yeah, yeah, yeah. people said that is like racist and stuff like that they wanted the, some kind of you know other race to be depicted and the second thing was the uh, display of uh, female genitalia was not it was not very detailed because ca- second was scared that you know uh, it might not pass the censorship of the uh, of the nasa officials so that was that is not very clearly uh, you know depicted whereas the man's genitalia is uh, explicitly shown so there were some controversies um, yeah so this is a you know i i just wanted to explain these things about the plaque which is important man if aliens find the plaque someone should tell them how yeah, to decode see, it yeah uh, see when alien find this right they'll need a you know guide to figure out the whole thing probably we'll link them this episode they can check this episode yeah, and then well then you should sp- send another space craft with all this <laughs> we'll just send it link right we'll just send it through some signals <laughs> yeah so uh, what i had written about this plaque thing is that it had it was made of gold 
then it had information about the origin of the spacecraft it was made by carl sagan yeah, and frank these, and that's exactly what i explained in detail yeah and uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah you got get a detailed information about the plaque here well let's move on to the timeline so everything is set and uh, they prepared for the launch and it was launched in uh, march 2nd of march 1972 uh, from uh, Florida the space launch complex 36A in Florida and uh, the launch ve- uh, launch vehicle used was Atlas Centaur and uh, you won't believe it the I believe a- it acceleration uh, like compared to all the other spacecraft space probe achieved were prior to this couldn't match with Pioneer because it reached moon within 11 hours that is a big feat because uh, one reason for that is that we are not carrying any uh, live animals or human beings into that which cannot handle that kind of acceleration yeah. uh, and yeah they didn't have to really plan about how to the previous missions like apollo had a different approach towards moon it is going there to land on the moon so you cannot like you know send it really fast it will just Skip. overshoot and go off so yeah, nine hours, eleven hours is a very short time. I mean, eleven hours is yeah. what less than my, many of the flights to you know Europe and United States from India, right? Yeah. See, uh, within seventeen minutes after launch, it was able to reach a speed of fifty-one thousand six hundred and eighty-two kilometers per hour, and it reached the, the interplanetary space within ninety minutes. Wow. How much time did uh, Apollo take? Any idea? Yeah, no, the thing is, you cannot clearly specify that because Apollo basically goes into a parking orbit around the Earth and then it, you know, checks all this instrumentation and stuff like that. So it kind of doesn't shoot straight into the space. It goes around orbit for some time. And well, then it uh, that means that it took a lot more time. Yeah, it, it would have taken a lot of time. <laughs> and uh, as said, it passed the moon within 11 hours. Yeah, which Apollo did in three days. Yeah, yeah, it's uploaded in three days. So it was launched in um, first week of March, and it reached the orbit of uh, Mars in June nineteen seventy two. Within three months, it's re- yeah. That is that is exactly the time it takes to reach Mars. Yeah, and then uh, it entered the asteroid belt within a month after that, around like July fifteen, and. Uh, they were skeptical because you have no idea what will happen once uh, something gets into the asteroid. Yeah, belt. what that reminds me is a, is a scene from that, what is that movie, Armageddon, where um, they uh, go into that <laughs> ans- asteroid and a lot of things are, you know. That's one of the most over-the-top movie <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> Who was the director? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is known for making such things, right? There was this uh, asteroid called 307 Nike. Mm-hmm. And this was the asteroid which came pretty close to uh, the space probe. And close by close uh, means 8.8 million kilometers away. Oof, that's a hairline. Yeah. So, <laughs> And this happened uh, in December 2nd, 1972, the same year. And uh, by uh, 15th of February, 1972, uh, it crossed the asteroid belt and was on, en route to Jupiter. And uh, the closest approach to Jupiter was made in uh, December 4th of 1973. So you can imagine, March of 1972, it was launched. December was the time when it came really close to Jupiter. That is like one year, uh, seven months. That's what I was mentioning about the relative distance of planets, right? You think that looking at diagrams on the internet, you might feel that 
after mars it's just you jupiter is right next to it right it's not like that after mars there's a huge distance you need to cover before reaching jupiter i don't know if you remember like there there is this youtube video where someone explains uh, the size of solar system uh, in relation with uh, a baseball field mm, like the yeah, center I, I is the sun it, and yeah, yeah. Uh, like pluto was like two or three yeah we'll three try to find out that video and probably from, link that so uh, that will give you a general idea yeah. of how far these planets are yeah so the closest ap- approach was made in december 4th and it came uh, pretty close like uh, 132000 kilometers and uh, but the first time it started photographing jupiter was in uh, 6th of uh, november 1973 mm-hmm. it was around 25 million kilometers away from jupiter oh. uh, and a total of 500 odd images were transmitted by the space probe but uh, i had checked out the but i had checked out some of the pictures sent by the recent uh, space probe which went uh, which crossed jupiter which was juno and compared to that the images sent by pioneer is like you know 90s television kind of stuff well you're talking about a difference of 40 years so in 40 years imaging has come a long way yeah so uh, while in, while uh, checking out jupiter it figured out that compared to earth the magnetic field is reverse so earth we have north pole south pole if you like put uh, jupiter uh, like right close to it uh, at the place where uh, north pole is supposed to be it has south pole okay and uh, where south pole should be it has north pole but that is e- cyclic even in case of earth you yeah. know after few years uh, south pole is going to be in the north and north pole is going to well, be in the south well currently it's like that so uh, looks like the cycle is out of sync for jupiter and earth <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, yeah one more thing uh, it took a lot of images of red sp- uh, the great red spot also like and we were able to like figure out a lot of information then it was uh, it did study the radiation uh, dissipated by jupiter yeah and it was able to figure out that jupiter emits more radiation than it receives from the sun mm. and the temperature the core temperature is uh, controlled by that radiation rather than how sun would act on other planets which is closer to it yeah one difference between the internal planets when i say internal the planets still mars and jupiter is that jupiter is basically a planet made of gas it's not a solid <laughs> planet uh, <laughs> it's what is there to laugh i don't know i love it, fart jokes yeah it's just gas um it doesn't have a solid f- so basically the un- uh, jupiter's atmosphere thickens and thickens until it becomes a planet so atmosphere is just an extension of itself yeah that's what like it was also able to figure out that io was orbiting in a cloud of hydrogen which extends up to 805000 kilometers from the surface of jupiter and uh, the uh, pioneer 10 was able to relay back real time images back to earth and it was broadcast on tv which also uh, helped it win uh, an emmy award pioneer has an emmy award yeah. to its name <laughs> because of the ability to like send back real time mm-hmm. images well uh, that's what it did and it was able to like figure out all the like tick all the primary uh, objectives and also figure out that the uh, interplanetary uh, dust they were they had suspected that it might be uh, larger particles and all that but uh, the space probe was able to figure out that the particles were pretty small and it won't affect a space probe if you send it to that side and uh, yeah 
so it left jupiter uh, in 1973 end of 1973 and it crossed the orbit of saturn so nasa didn't know like what to do with it so it just let it go and again slink shot uh, saturn and then we had uh, uranus was crossed in uh, 1979 then uh, we had talked about that phenomena where uh, pluto crosses the orbit of neptune and be- uh, turns into the eighth planet right because of that it crossed uh, the pioneer 10 crossed pluto first in april 25th and uh, then the final planet of the solar system which is neptune and back then was crossed in uh, june thir- 13th of 1983 yeah i think from 1979 to 1999 pluto was uh, the eighth planet i mean inside the orbit of neptune for yeah. 20 years yeah so uh, like think about the time taken like within the uh, first 2 years it was able to cross jupiter but it took another 3 years to cross uh, saturn then again 3 years for uranus and 4 years for pluto and uh, neptune yeah that kind of reinforces what i said earlier right so yeah. the scale is increasing as you go to the outer planets yeah so uh, also like the propellant and the power source were decreasing and uh, by 1997 the signals became weak and uh, nasa officially put an end to the mission when uh, the planet was 67 astronomical unit units away from the sun so one astronomical unit is around 150 million kilometers yeah. uh, which is the distance between sun and, sun earth. and earth so it it varies like 90 to 150 depending on the time of the year and uh, the so they didn't that, know what that that translates to around 12 billion kilometers right yeah Yeah so that, in 2003 it was around 12 billion, 12 billion. kilometers away from the sun or And, earth yeah uh, from earth from earth not yeah, well, sun well doesn't make much of a difference of one difference, min- yeah. 150 million kilometers yeah so uh, the last signal like uh, they started getting very weak signals and uh, the last communication with pioneer 10 happened on january 23rd 2003 and uh, the planet uh, the space probe was 12 billion kilometers away from earth and uh, they had to let it go but hmm. uh, in 2006 they again made a final attempt you know if something is there let's try to get it from uh, like uh, on the evening of march 4th they again tried to contact pioneer but uh, there was it was not successful yeah so it was 12 billion that time it would have been many many more billions now right many many more we have no idea so, even if it exists yeah wh- while i was doing some part of the research because you did most of the study for this episode mm-hmm. i was doing some part of the research i saw a diagram which kind of showed the relative paths of pioneer 10 pioneer 11 voyager 1 and 2 um voyager 1 2 and pioneer 11 kind of go on the same uh, towards almost the same side of the you know um universe not exactly the same side but almost they are diverging anyway they're going to go far far away but pioneer 10 is an entirely opposite completely side right opposite. it's a completely opposite side and i i think voyager 2 is one of the most furthest object in the space now it's voyager 1 voyager 1 okay one. so I'm just thinking, what is the difference between Voyager and the Pioneer 10 at yeah. this point? It would be it's like huge. Two ends of you know universe, yeah. Yeah. kind of yeah. And uh, Voyager 2 is uh, expected to overtake Pioneer 10 when it comes to the distance from mm. Earth uh, by 2019. And I think Pioneer 10 year. is headed towards one of the constellations, and it's gonna reach. Uh, yeah, it is said that it'll reach Aldebaran, which is a star far away uh, in almost like two million years. 2 million years that's all <laughs> that's it 
and so uh, we just have uh, 100 you know 1 million 999000 almost yeah <laughs> and yeah there are like some points which we should take into account like uh, the maximum speed attained by the spacecraft was while it slung like did a slingshot mm-hmm. through jupiter's orbit and the speed it attained was uh, 132000 kilometers kilometers per hour. per hour that might be the record Uh, I'm not sure about Because that. Because Voyager came after Voyager that. Voyager is there. So, I'm not sure how much uh, mm-hmm. speed Voyager attained. One other thing that baffled scientists for some time, uh, which which was related to Pioneer 10 as well as 11, was something called Pioneer Anomaly. Um, so, they do these calculations uh, as to how far the spacecraft might travel per year and all that kind of stuff, right? So, they noticed that the spacecraft was always uh, traveling less distance than they calculated for a particular year. and this kind of baffled the scientists for a long time around 20 years or something later they found out uh, the solution to it so the thing was uh, the space probe used rtgs uh, for powering its uh, instruments and uh, radiation thermal radiation was emitted through it which was against the path of uh, against its path so there was a negative acceleration which resulted in this uh, pioneer anomaly even now they don't have a clear proof for this but uh, they don't have any other explanation so they we just believe in it hmm. and uh, one other point is that uh, pioneer uh, pioneer was able to figure out the presence of helium in interplanetary medium and uh, it also found out that uh, solar winds had uh, presence of sodium and aluminum so by the looks of it it basically exceeded all the expectations like a very good employee and uh, baffled uh nasa i'm sure because they never expected this to last so long and to to provide so much information right so another interesting thing that we recently found out was by this website called sb nation uh, they have a fiction uh, fictional story which is written around pioneer uh, 10 and very interesting way it's like a calendar entry kind of a stuff and i think you all should go and check it out if you're interested in all yeah, these kind of things Yeah. It's one of the most creative ways to like mm-hmm. uh, describe a story. It's called uh, 17776. Yeah. And it's kind of a story which revolves around the Pioneer uh, space program and uh, football, American football. Yeah, we'll link to it and you can probably go and check it out. Uh, it's very interesting story.